Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. And I'm Not Herb, here with a uh, Relit and Zella, uh, here to talk about our new film. We didn't make it, but really movies, art belongs to everyone. <laughs> and that's why I'm running for office. Which office? The office of president. <laughs> 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 no, guys, I'm Britain. I was doing a, a backwards joke uh, from the film yeah. Tenet, which we're talking about today. Yeah, first, uh, first down in the film Tenet. Now, this what? is this first is a big time. movie for us and for everyone. That uh, it's kind of, really and truly, this is I think kind of what spurred Tyler to be like, let's do the Nolan filmography. There are a lot of reasons behind extent. it. There's a lot of like we, we wanted to watch his movies. We all like his movies a lot. We like him a lot. We like his suits. We love the hair. Yeah, um, his voice. And, his voice, his yeah, eyes. his eyes. Oh, too funny. And uh, <laughs> and his ability to host, yeah, huh? Yeah, but um, really, I mean, Tenet was, I know, a big movie for, for Tyler back in the halcyon days of 2020. Yeah, uh, no, it, it is. I, I feel that this movie is the culmination of a lot of things Nolan has been sort of wanting to do, but like trying to be too prestigious to do <laughs> for, for a while. <laughs> I don't know. I think it is so off the wall and so just totally composed of style uh, and not sort of hard, like logic or reason or understanding <laughs> like we'll we'll get into it i i just think that this is a fascinating evolution for nolan and i think some of that is intentional especially with kind of the way the movie is presented to us as the audience we'll we'll get into it but yeah i i i had sort of a joyous revelation the first time i saw this i think i recommended it mm-hmm. um and mentioned at the time that I had gone to see it in like a home theater that had subtitles and was able like, so I was able to like get the audio experience while also being able to understand what was actually being said. Um, and I think that is very important. I, it is a weird situation where I think the movie does definitely need you to be able to understand what's being said, but also the sound mixing is insane. And I know Alex, you've mentioned that it was like unintelligible in the theater um yeah i can i can touch on my my uh theater going experience with this a little bit yeah it is it is such a weird beast but i do think there's a lot here that i find really interesting and really enjoy so we'll uh we'll we'll talk about it yeah Uh, in in the wedding album of nolan's career this is where he said let's do a silly one yeah all right Groomsman, get in and here. You know Let's do what? a silly one. That's sort of the one. That's like it's the one that they, you know, the the uh, the credits end on, right? Because it's yeah. like they're all they're all at their happiest. They're all yeah. at their most genuine. They're, oh, they're not like worried about what other people think. It, it, they're having it, fun. If I can throw in an alternate theory, I think this is the one after he's had a few too many drinks and he's like, "Let me tell you what I really think." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also that. <laughs> Tenet. From 2020, directed by Christopher Nolan, it has, in Britain, insert sound effect here, a 69% critic score. (laughs) Again, it's the silly one. It's the silly picture. Also, they're always there for us. They loved us. Tenet, like a flip. Like, 
Yes, same back. Yeah. It's a palindrome. The, he does, he, the man doesn't make mistakes. It's all intentional. It's Wait, Alex, is that what 69 means? Yeah, it's like a, it's 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 an, it's a fun number because the numbers are Oh. Backwards. How would that yeah. work in why in other ways? And a 76% <laughs> audience score. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also good. Um yeah, cuz in, in 1776 uh, it's, it's a, a reference movie. to it's a reference to the fact that Tenet is about uh, American colonialism. So. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and frequently in this movie, I was like, "Sit down, John. You're yeah. you're, you're running around too much. Got to rest." <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, what is this movie? Well, I'll tell you. The synopsis for Tenet reads thus: A secret agent is given a single word as his weapon, and sent and is sent to prevent the onset of World War III. He must travel through time and bend the laws of nature in order to be successful in his mission. Not wrong. Not wrong. This was a, an interesting one for me because I saw it on TV, not, on t- not like on TBS, but like on my television in 2020. And I think a lot of it was just the 2020 of it all where it, it felt like, is this like a, is, do, are we counting this as a real movie? I think a lot of movies sure. felt like that to me. Not being able to see them in the theater, knowing that the distribution was changed and the editing was, all the stuff was affected by COVID and going, well, was, this feels like vestigial in a way. And is this part of it? And am I connecting to it the way that I should be? And just is the sort of, are my surroundings and the miasma affecting how I perceive the movie? And then I watched it this time and I didn't feel that differently. Um, mm-hmm. cause this one just, and I don't really have critiques of the movie. I, I really don't have a lot of issues with it. I just really couldn't tap into it. Even with his previous movies, if I wasn't wild about them, I was still like, yeah, I, I'm here. And I know that a lot of this movie is about just feeling it. They, they say it in the movie. Don't think about it. Just feel it. And there are things in this movie that I think are fantastic and that I definitely like, and this is not a, a an episode where I'm going to be like attacking or disagreeing with you guys so much as it's like, yeah, it just didn't, it doesn't rest in me the way that. All, most of his other movies have certainly from like memento on really yeah. yeah it's taken me a number of viewings to come around on on this uh when i watched it the first time in a theater like christopher nolan's recommended experience i did not like it at all i found it annoying i found it pretentious i i could not tell what half of the dialogue was because the sound mixing was just awful um i i'll get into it i think that opening scene um even after seeing it several times um it's definitely improved in terms of understanding what's happening but watching it for the first couple of times it's borderline incomprehensible (laughs) and i have a feeling that that's that immediately lost a lot of people that don't like this movie um because it throws so much at you at once um and not necessarily a lot of stuff that matters in the long run. Um, it's yeah. just a lot of little details because spy movie. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, you, I, I don't know. The, the movie overcomplicates itself in many ways. And we can get into that. But it feels like it's got such grand ambitions and it's stumbling in fairly minor ways. It's just a, it's just a weird film. Um, but I think once... Once I had a lot of the plot questions kind of out of the way because I've seen the movie enough that I'm able to be like, okay, I I can tell you what's going on. Um, 
I connected with it quite a bit more. However, I would argue you should not have to watch a movie five or six times to connect with it. <laughs> yeah. sure. On the other maybe hand, two or three times, maybe. This is a movie that has compelled you to watch it five or six times. That's true. Because I, <laughs> I want to get it. Like, it, it's something where it's... it's especially Nolan's advocate. Well especially, <laughs> well, especially, Tyler, after you watched it and you're like, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I'm like, okay, I have to be missing something. And I don't think it's necessarily that I was missing stuff. It's more just there was yeah. a lot of obstructions in my way let's say like subtitles put them in the theater please (laughs) i could not tell what they were saying (laughs) the specifically the bit where they're torturing the protagonist at the beginning on the train tracks especially with the thick heavy russian accents could not tell you anything that was being said in that whole scene (laughs) like i feel like this is kind of important Maybe. It was it was a very frustrating experience. And it is, I think, uh, you know, it starts as this big scene. They're going into an opera house. They're getting a guy out because they've uh, infiltrated the CIA. Or the CIA has infiltrated a Russian yeah. operation to blow up. Do I have a- <laughs> Well, this, I already lost. Well, this this is the thing that I have questions about, even after the fact. Because I, I did try and look at some external sources that would be like, oh, plot summary for the movie or, or whatever, you know, stuff on YouTube. And so our our bad guy, Sator, Kenneth Branagh's character, um, stages this big... Sator! R.I.P. Part of the Sator Square. We can talk about it. Um, he sets a huge siege at this opera house. And it's supposed to be like a fake out to actually get to the device, which yeah. ends up forming our MacGuffin, MacGuffin of the movie, the algorithm. And so we've got this kind of terrorist hostage situation going on. And then you've got the Russian SWAT teams or police force or whatever it might be. Um, and John David Washington, the protagonist, and a couple of his guys who are in the CIA are just kind of there waiting for them to show up because they've been tipped off about this whole thing. And I think the Russian drivers who end up capturing him and torturing him actually work for Sador. Yeah. I don't think any of this is clear in the movie, by the way. (laughs) And that's my, like, it's a neat scene. I think, to, like, as they're kind of going through the siege of the opera house. Um, it looks gorgeous. Yeah, and the movie looks great in general. Yeah. Um, and it's a neat scene. It's shot well. Some cool stuff going on there. Um, there is a part that I already have questions about where we see somebody pull an inverted bullet back into their gun uh, and almost hit uh, the protagonist. It's neat. And, Okay, is that ever like? No, that's a, that's a question I had. Why does he have an inverted bullet, but he doesn't appear to be traveling backwards like an inverted person? Well, the inverted bullets don't necessarily. the The inverted bullets can just be inverted bullets. Oh, I understand that, but why would he need an inverted bullet? Well, because it was already there. Because he, he was going to pull it into his gun. We, we can get into, I mean, what we, is Christopher Nolan on? <laughs> we can get into how inverted wow. objects work in this movie. I think it's a clever concept. I have so many questions because yes. it just hurts my brain. Uh, 
Um, oh, yeah, I, yes, I know that's I'm supposed to be that is supposed um, to be the big tell early on that oh, there's something fishy going on here. It's not just like a normal spy movie. There is some sort of yeah. sci-fi element at play. So Neil fails to stop them from, or I guess who, Neil who is- Neil just shows up to save him. That is his his express okay. purpose. Interesting. Yeah, but not okay. Okay. How was Neil there? Well, I think the idea is that he, because when he, when the protagonist formally meets Neil, and I know we're jumping ahead, Neil knows a lot about him. Yeah. And and they heavily hint at that. So I think the idea is supposed to be that the older version of the protagonist who supposedly helps to form Tenet sent Neil back as part of this mission, and he's been just all over the place just doing things in the background. So not necessary. I've always read it as Neil is going backwards for the most part while the protagonist is going forwards, but I guess that doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I think he's jumping all over the place. <laughs> like a river sort of song. From but he is mostly going backwards as, as we see it in the film. Sort of a, uh, a Terminator situation. Yeah. I mean, kind of. And I mean, that's that's one of the things that kind of when I accepted that because one of the things that I really like about the first Terminator movie as a time travel movie is that it embraces that it's a paradox. Yeah. It embraces that, oh, no, no, you can't have the events in the movie without the time travel element and like all of it like affects, you know, it's just a big time loop. Right. And so this movie is just like a time loop on top of a time loop on top of a time loop. And like once I accepted that, I was like, okay, I can... Okay, that this makes more sense to me. I, I actually think this movie works a lot better in terms of the logic than I was giving it credit for. Um, just by watching it five or six times, I think I've yeah. just picked up on more stuff. But I, I just, I don't know. It. I feel like the sci-fi concept of things being inverted, manipulating a an object or a person's entropy so that way they experience it in, they're experiencing time going backwards. I feel like that is such a weird concept and a weird way to approach time travel. Cut a lot of the complicated spy stuff because it just starts compounding on itself and getting more and more complicated sure. and it just hurts my brain. And I feel like a general audience just like would not well, go for it. And just and that's what the, the point I kept getting sidetracked off of because I have questions every time. I think anytime you begin to talk about this movie, it, it begs you to be like, wait, yeah. what was that about? Um, but which is why I'll, I'll say this real quick, which is why I heavily resist the whole don't think it, feel it, mm-hmm. because I think if the movie actually believed that and wanted you to do that, it wouldn't have mountains and mountains and mountains of exposition. Yes. <laughs> um, th- there is not a whole lot of character arcs or anything going on in this movie. I think Elizabeth Debicki's character is the only one that kind of gets like an actual journey to go on. But for the most part, this is a, from the protagonist's perspective, it's more like a straightforward man on a mission Bond-esque kind of journey. Yeah. Um. And then he realizes his best friend is going to go die, and that's sad. Yeah, Spoilers. but also uh, not <laughs> the uh, the opening. <laughs> my my point is that it's a cool opening when you look at something like Nolan. I think likes to have 
the big interesting opening to start with that kind of like sets a tone for the movie. Uh, the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises both have a big set piece introducing our villain. Um, that's like really elaborate and interesting and like sort of shows off their methods and how they think and who they're working with and like gives you a lot of groundwork and is very clear generally what is happening through the you know process of that inception has the big first dream sequence uh in sort of Saito's domain uh where we get introduced to a lot of the characters and kind of know generally what's going on after after watching that like i think we it's been rare for us to see an opening of an only movie that is not immediately gripping and not immediately like oh well what's happening here this totally makes sense and i'm i'm following along um this definitely starts off with like being very confused about who's on what side and what's happening and who's infiltrated where and who's cia and who are these russians and okay now he's dead <laughs> but not dead yeah um as the kind of ultimate result of that uh so it, you know it almost feels like it should get to that point even quicker and just like cut out a lot of that so that we start off with okay the the premise is the cia guy tried to kill himself with the cia process uh with the the cyanide pill um and then it turned out that was actually th those pills don't actually kill you they are used to weed out people who are actually loyal enough to the cause to tell them about all these crazy things um that I think that premise is neat. And I think it does get really muddled with everything going on. Cause then you're like trying to remember. I, I feel like, I mean, even having watched this movie two or three times, um, the opening still just does not even, none of that like clicks with the rest of the movie for me. I'm just like, Oh yeah, that all happened. And there is an, op they mention an opera house later. And I don't know. <laughs> like it does not, um, it does. Does the guy who gives him the, his pill his CIA partner who gets captured as well um and then ends up slipping him uh a pill so that he doesn't have to keep being tortured does that guy show up again no okay i couldn't tell if he did or not i did not remember well, him well enough well that's the confusing thing cuz kind of after that cuz he he runs the CIA guy or not the CIA guy the tenant guy who kind of tells him what yes. tenant is is Al Pacino's partner from Memento? Oh, yeah. Or Martin Insomnia, Donovan. excuse me. Yeah, Wait, Martin what? Donovan. Martin Donovan. Yeah. Ironically huh. enough, I haven't gotten enough sleep, so my brain is a little hazy at this there point. Perfect for watching and talking about Tenet. Um, yes. But he starts explaining what it is, and he's like, oh, your team didn't make it out. And so, right. presumably, his entire team died, which then leads to the question of, so does that mean Sador ended up with the, that piece of the algorithm? Because... Yes. There's the whole scene with the fire truck where I thought they were going yeah. after the same part of the algorithm, but maybe not. <laughs> so maybe that would be my thinking is that Neil does. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I, that would be my thinking is that Neil gets it. And then maybe that's like why it's on the truck. He's handed it off to the proper authorities. If he is there at the opera house. I, I don't think Neil gets a hold of the algorithm. I mean, we don't see it for sure, but like, maybe he gets it since he's there somehow. Because you're right, it's possible. I don't Sater know. 
Well, no, because doesn't he end up getting it? Look, my point <laughs> is, I think that opening scene, while beautifully shot, and it's got a lot of just fun moments, John David Washington running, like, urgently rivals Tom Cruise running. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's very good at that. And he's a very like, good action performer. Yes. Yeah. And just, like, sliding around and everything like that. that all that stuff, I was like, okay, I'm good with that. Because by the end of the movie, Sador gets the whole algorithm, right? Yes. So that's because that's the whole okay. thing that they're trying to um, stop is him actually I mean, activating. A, <clears throat> there's a few pieces that are identical, so it might just be that he got that piece and then there are the, they the identical. <laughs> yeah, if you look at the end, there's okay. a few that are like I mean identical to the eye, like yeah. when we're as the audience look at them. Look, Presumably, they have an algorithm. My point them. is that opening scene I think shoots its shoots the movie in the foot and. Sure. Even after multiple watches, it's still I, it hurts my brain. <laughs> but I don't I point, don't think information is properly conveyed in that scene. Yeah, I would agree. After that point, John David Washington gets in a, in a lighthouse and gets to hang out in the lighthouse and do cool cool chin ups. Yeah, it looks like uh, uh, it's like Bioshock Infinite for a minute. It's great. Yeah, he's 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 one up in um, Steve Amell. Yeah, he is from uh, Arrow. He's he's not just doing salmon ladders. He's he's up on the fiftieth rung of a ladder. Doing some chin ups. It's pretty great. It's pretty cool. And moving his eyebrows. I yeah. um I think that I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I have trouble following spy plots at the best of times. Sure. So when you add in all the extra, <laughs> I just gave up. I really was just like, I'm not. I don't I frequently forgot that Priya was in the movie. Sure. I was like, I don't know who any of you what so, any of this is. I know who I know he's the bad guy and he's the it's like that bad lip reading video. All I know is this is the good guy and that's the bad guy. I think so this is this Fair. is like part of my my central thesis, my my tenets of tenet. Um <clears throat> I really think there Be is quiet. A, <laughs> there is a point to which uh the insanity of the movie and like the plot is intentionally getting you to the point where like it is yeah. driving back to don't think it feel it um i i feel like this movie in a lot of ways is a i don't even know exactly what the point is but it is a exercise in not like caring about the plot at all yeah <laughs> in terms of the obviously he's put a lot of thought into the actual machinations of the plot it does all pretty much work together within the rules of the movie um but just like <laughs> the, the point that really broke me in the best way is the is michael kane's one scene yeah um john david washington he goes to see priya first uh he ends up finding her we have we we can maybe talk more about that there's they, they there's kill a, multiple bodyguards of hers and she's they she's just, just kind of hand waves well, because he knows tenet uh it's fine. They use the word bungee jumpable. It's pretty great. Uh, <laughs> they, they do a reverse bungee jump. That was yes. great. Yes. It's thematically on yeah. point. I like it. <laughs> um, there's also a clock in the beginning when they're, when he's getting interrogated by the Russians. So, you know. <laughs> and and the, the Russian guy, he turns it back an hour. It's uh-huh. like, oh, uh-huh. get it. Ninja. <laughs> And, um, I, and I also love the moment where uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh went over to grab his sunglasses and he looked in the mirror at himself and then he put the sunglasses down and he's like, I'm not, 
Not cool enough for that yet. Except what he said was, I am not cool enough <laughs> for that. Because of his acting. Yeah, he's great at this movie. <laughs> uh, he certainly thinks he is. Uh, yeah, I I think Britton and I are aligned on our, our thoughts I'm, I'm there. Not, I'm, I'm being... I love I love him in this movie. I am not saying he's necessarily. He, he yeah, it's necessarily not it's not nominated. John Malkovich and Rounders, but it's like True. we're sort of hoving near it. Now, um, um, I, I I I do think there is a sense of by overwhelming you, it makes you get to the truth of it. It's well, like the, it's like yeah, if you the, make a if you, it's like you make a delicious pizza pie. And you put so many toppings on it that eventually you're like, I'm only focusing on the cheese and the tomato sauce and the bread. And the chef is like, that is my point. <laughs> it's bringing you back to the original pizza. Well, I guess in a way that anyway, does make... I got to save it a Pope. <laughs> I guess in a sense that that works because of the whole paradox nature of it. If it's supposed to be, oh, you know, this is just like... Because the movie kind of bounces back and forth between whether things are predetermined and or yeah. how fate plays into things. Um, and I actually really like the end when Neil talks about it because um, he, he puts it in a very positive way. He's like, you know, we, we don't just look at this as uh, we're completely powerless and without agency. It's like, no, we, we are um, uh, we have a faith in the inner mechanics of our universe. And that's not an excuse to do nothing. Like, I like the way that he frames that. Um, but in terms of just kind of just things just kind of happen, it's like, well, you know, if, if it's a paradox and things just kind of circle back into each other, then things do just kind of have to happen in certain ways for other things to happen. Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, the, the scene with Michael Caine, he shows up because Michael Caine is his contact to try and get him information about Sator. Um, <clears throat> or at least, or maybe, yeah, yeah. Cause Michael Caine starts explaining, explaining Sator. And then he, uh, starts explaining, uh, Elizabeth Debicki's character. I forget her name in the movie. Cat. Um, cat. Yeah. Uh, Julie, starts, the cat Gaffney. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh he starts explaining her relationship and how it's fraught and then he starts getting it and like we have this thing where it's like this scene happens and you kind of get to the point where it's like okay that's that's the exposition you know he, he learns about sator he's gonna go after sator and then there's like a moment where like we we break in the back and forth for a minute uh or i think it's because uh michael king gives him the painting and then Michael Caine is like, this is a painting. And then John David Washington is like, oh, you've got this, like, like he recognizes the artist and he's like, oh, you've got this, you know, crazy painting, um, you know, super valuable, valuable painting in this very cheap bag. What are you doing? Uh, and then Michael Caine goes, it's a fake. It was made by a, a Spaniard named Arepo. <laughs> like, that line is so good. <laughs> and it just like it is the most convoluted thing yeah and of course you know it's michael kane doing it it's his only scene in the movie like <clears throat> it genuinely feels intentional to me yeah <clears throat> i'm losing my voice because i'm so i'm so uh <laughs> so with uh emotion about this no it genuinely feels intentional to me that it is so over the top yeah and so like this is the most spy dialogue you've ever heard sure. <laughs> like, i i feel like it is hard to read that any other way <clears throat> especially having watched it 
multiple times. Like it, it, it is a bonkers scene. Um, and then <laughs> I feel like between that and then the other thing is the inverted things, the, the reversing entropy of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have this, uh, this concept of there are items moving backwards in time because they were, uh, somehow corrupted by some massive event in the future or like the future people have the ability to, to change these things and make the entropy different. Um, they're drifting, they're drifting back to us from a future war. Um, and that is then explained by a scientist who like starts to get into it. And then she's like, literally do not worry about it. Floor Delacour from Harry Potter. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hey, that's funny because what I'm what I'm getting at here, the science in this movie is magic. This is a movie about spy wizards. Right. <laughs> this is not a movie about <laughs> something that makes sense in now, a logical fashion. Now, what's what's Christopher Nolan with this 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 crap like one word title nonsense? I don't need Tenet. I needed this movie to be called Spy Wizards. This sucker would have had a ninety two percent critic score. <laughs> Come on. And it is like, it is the ultimate in Nolan having these sci-fi items. I mean, in in Prestige, he talks about, you know, science is indistinguishable from magic. If it's, you know, strong enough and that's like the teleportation stuff. I mean, that the movie is about magic and about a scientific machine at the heart of it. Um, This is that to the extreme. It also, I think we, we've talked a lot about, Nolan doing a James Bond movie might be the natural fit. I think last week I was talking about, you know, I don't know what Nolan does next if Oppenheimer fails because it feels like he needs to like get like a, a big blockbuster win again. I don't think, I think this is Nolan doing James Bond and he can't help but put <laughs> wizard time magic in it. And it's yeah. great. I, no, I, I agree. I, I think this movie is actually a good case for why Nolan should just do his own thing. And yeah. I, because I, I do feel like, unless it's the right project, like a Batman, I, I feel like he would just, his hands would be tied, and he wouldn't be, and I would rather have this, um or even Dunkirk, which I'm not a big fan of, go and listen to last yeah. week's episode, um I would rather have those than have him take on... It was actually two weeks ago, thank you very much. I've lost track of time and space. Maybe I've been traveling <laughs> backwards, and I just don't know it. Um... Uh, but I would rather have him do that than like, oh, he's doing the next Jurassic World or, you know, right. something. Sure. And it's like, oh, well, he's not going to be able to do what he wants. It's not going to be. Yeah, he, he's he's going to want to bring his own ideas to it, whether or not they'll be as effective as some of his, his earlier films. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like the, the I think genuinely the if the physics do not. Make a lot of sense unless they are you are thinking about them as like the protagonist and antagonist are making them happen by thinking about them. And that's what happens early on. We see where uh, in that exposition scene about like, Oh, you know, you have to (coughs) feel the bullet. You have to have dropped the bullet. And so then John David Washington goes to like pick it up to drop it or is like thinking about dropping it. And then it comes into his hand. And he's like, wait, I didn't even do anything yet. She's like, yeah, you you were going to do it. It came into you. Like, it, that is 
especially I think when you get into some of the stuff with the inverted bullets, because it's like it, when we first see him catching the bullets, those are already embedded in a wall. As we go along, there's a lot of stuff where it's like, why would the bullet already be there <laughs> if he's catching it? And like yeah. the one, the big one that breaks my brain is the bullet holes at the airport. Yeah. When they, they walk in, this is right before the protagonist has to fight the inverted version of himself. Um, and he, he walks in and he sees the bullet holes in the wall, which end up being from inverted bullets because the fight then happens and they are pulled out of the yes. wall. And I'm like, so if we if we rewind the clocks back, like whenever this place was built and the manufacturer is like putting the, the airport together and they're shipping in the glass walls, are the bullet holes already in that glass? Yeah, I have, I have no answers. Unless it's like... But if, if Nolan was just standing there next to me in the theater and he just held up a little a little uh, index card that said paradox, I would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like, it doesn't. <laughs> again, it's it's magic. It's not it's not a, a built out scientific approach to things. Um, yeah. Uh, well, because well, I I think because I, I was trying to like I I, I think when when you're dealing with complicated sci fi. Um, ideas like this i think you try and look for like the simplest example in the movie you can find and compare it against the more complicated examples because the biggest one for me that i was kind of using as kind of my measure against the other stuff that was confusing me was so the logic of sator is the basically the person that the people in the future chose to try and find all the pieces of the algorithm so he could just destroy the world basically um the magic spell but go on right um and so they use the logic of well he purposefully goes to areas that have not been discovered yet or, or will not will be untouched basically and that's where he puts his messages that then get pushed into the future and that's where the future drops off the messages so i'm like okay so nobody's tampering with those areas so things going backwards in time makes sense to me yeah it's when humans have to have interacted with stuff that's moving backwards. That's when my brain really starts to break. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Quite. Well. <laughs> well. <laughs> are the bullets inverted? Or are they coming back to John David Washington because he's inverted in that moment? Because when he's when when John David Washington is <laughs> inverted or is not inverted and first sees the bullets, <laughs> Britain, Britain, I can I can feel you just <laughs> hanging on the edge of your seat about her. <laughs> I'm just waiting for a chance to say something that's I'm, I don't have anything to say about this. <laughs> no, the the bullet the bullets are inverted. Let let me walk let me walk you through it and then we can talk about Elizabeth Debicki. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, you know me well. <laughs> And then we can talk about. You just Kenneth gotta have Branagh. your broccoli first, and then, and then Kenneth Branagh is the dessert that's a little burnt. It's tiramisu that <laughs> something, something went wrong. And then <laughs> Kenneth Branagh, the dessert that's a little burnt. Take and that, then, Shakespeare. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, Britain, you can go on another ten minute break while Tyler and I talk about Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> I have something to say about him in the. Yeah, movie. he's fun. Um, the bullets, <laughs> the bullets. <laughs> uh, when John David Washington goes 
he first sees the bullets in the wall at the science place uh the the wizard the wizard tower um he, he finds the turnstiles yes no, no, no. This is this is time turners. About, yes. Oh, yes. you're talking about okay. When he's first introduced gotcha. to the bullets, they are in a wall, and she's like, I, "We found these in the wall." You know, squeeze the trigger. Oh, look, the bullets are coming back. They, those bullets are inverted. In that fight scene, he is inverted fighting himself, and he's the one who pulls the bullets in. Okay, we're I talking believe. about two of the same people. You need to be clearer than this. <laughs> Is he when okay, the first time we see that fight scene, yes, do we see the bullets go? The bullets go in during the first go round during the first go round, but they go out during the second go round yes when our when the guy firing is inverted and traveling backwards okay, which actually is is a fun um kind of catch on a rewatch because there's multiple points where the protagonist disarms people. Mm-hmm. Um he purposefully like pulls guns apart and things like that. And I think when you're watching it and that scene goes so fast, it's it's a neat little sequence both ways of the protagonist fighting it himself, but I like the idea of if he is firing the gun, he's trying to unload it and like right after that he pulls it apart. Mhm. I don't know. I I like I like somebody who's actually concerned about that. And he was in the opera sequence. He's trying to save the civilians because they're yeah. they're going to be blown up. I lo- you know, he doesn't have to have superpowers to try and save people, and for me to to you know be happy about it. You know, yeah. Not all heroes wear capes. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Th- thank you. CIA armor. Thanks to the first responders. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, yeah, okay. So he walks in John David Washington from later in the movie has been inverted the whole time going back yes to that place. So the bullets have been there. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe at some point Neil put him there. Who knows? Well, also the other one that I thought of is when right after they have the fire truck part where they steal the piece of the algorithm and they're driving forward and they're seeing the cars traveling backwards. Mm-hmm. There's he there's a broken mirror on their car that gets fixed after somebody travels backwards and hits them. Yeah. Does that mean the mirror was broken when the manufacturer built that car in the first place? Yeah, I don't know. It it hurts my brain is all yeah. I'm trying to well, say. Well, and then in that in that sequence, what happens to the protagonist is that he gets flipped over in the car, and the car gets set on fire. But Sator doesn't understand these things because he's not a good enough wizard. Oh, I mean before uh, that, I mean <laughs> freaking. Oh no, no no no! I'm sorry. I'm I'm building on this theory. That okay. None of it actually makes sense because it's not real science. It's it's this sort of like the it's it's bullets. Uh, what would be the what would be the word for it? Nonsense. Uh, bullet yeah. ma- bullet mancy. Bullet mancy. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. Um, we're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. Um, but then Sador sets the car on fire, uh, and it turns to ice. It's like that's a very it's a very wizardy thing. <laughs> the you know sort of playing with the elements. I mean that's that's you know it's Sador. But my right my there. birth name was Mars Sazerac. turns out he's actually grindelwald the whole time because of nonsense that would explain his performance (laughs) 
Oh. Wow. They should have gotten Ken- if they If they ever make a fourth one of those, they better get Kenneth Branagh on as our new Grindelwald. <laughs> Which is great because he's already been uh, uh, Lockhart. Yeah, and you're fine. like, wait, were the scrolls in this the whole time? <laughs> Whoa! Um, Mads needs to get in a Nolan movie. We need Gilderoy to get that Gilderoy Grindelwald? Oh, it's a Palomino. <laughs> um... But yes, that's my theory. Is don't think about it too hard because it's not yeah, supposed to make on, sense, man. and it's all, <laughs> Whatever, it's all just, fake. Just kick back. Uh, and, but it really, just like, that is my actual point, and the reason why I find a lot of joy in this is because it is Nolan being like, "I'm going to push this so far <laughs> that you are just going to have to roll with it and stop looking for freaking plot holes." <laughs> well, I, I think that's where I start to run into the issue of tone. Um. Yeah. And Tyler, I think you messaged the group um, while you were watching this and you're like, this might be Nolan's funniest movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I do think there's a lot of funny dialogue, but I do think a lot oh, of it is kind of that dry British wit that he normally brings to his scripts. Yeah, um, uh, I'm not just talking about the jokes. I'm saying like the stuff like Michael Caine saying yeah. this is a fake made by the Spaniard Arepo. I think that there <laughs> is a lot of stuff that and not that's, you know, me personally finding joy in that but there are a lot of things that really like push the envelope and are just insane we're still not talking about elizabeth debicki (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) you can blame alex for that um i'll I'll finish this point i just i feel i i do think the movie is taking itself too seriously even with how crazy it gets because of the way nolan shoots and edits and the score and everything i still think this movie is way too earnest um and when you get also, well, for me, Kenneth Branagh and like the whole villain end goal is start is where I start to be like, all right, we're ver- verging into like Roger Moore territory. Sure. What yeah. what is? And but that's like the only piece. Everything else is so straightforward. It's not the right word, but like I said, so earnest and like we are doing like the spy thriller thing, man. This is like the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life. And I I just. I don't feel like the movie has enough self-awareness. It clearly has some self-awareness, but I don't feel like it has enough for me to to fully take it on its own terms. I actually do think, too, because you mentioned the score, and I just wanted to add on that before we talk about the things Britt wants to talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do think the score is Ludwig van, van Gorensen? Ludwig Gorensen? Oh, Ludwig Gorensen. Oh, did wow. I, did I add a... It's, I think van, this is Ludwig yeah. Gorensen. Gorenson. that's um, awesome and i i like it there's some fun stuff where like the the, the big, there's like big hans zimmer balls that go backwards those are there's a neat um i f- i think it does not quite match the energy of the movie and play it is i, I think to me it is too i, I like him a lot i, I should say moving Gorenson did the black panther movies i think his work on those is fantastic. Has he won an Oscar for either for the, of those? For the I, first one, yeah. Yeah, I know. I knew he was nominated. His score for the Mandalorian is terrific. Mandalorian is is fantastic. This one, I feel like he is trying to be in the Hans Zimmer headspace too much, and I think this is a movie, and it's like specifically later Hans Zimmer. It's it's Hans Zimmer of the last five or ten years, where I think. I mean, I guess if I'm thinking through like inception was 2010, like inception has a lot of energy to it. Whereas I think in the last few years, Hans Zimmer has really gotten to sort of a, like 
he's really leaning on the <laughs> like the sort of uh caricatures of his own scores or these scores that got him so much acclaim and like the things that he was so inventive with what are you talking um, about he was nominated for dark phoenix there you go uh <laughs> i'm gonna bring it up whenever i want dang it please do <laughs> um no one wants to send objects back in time well i'll bring up dark phoenix <laughs> <laughs> but the uh the the score in this i think it has moments i don't think it is enough to really like pull the move like i think that really did need to click more in order for all of this to work because nolan is just too competent at making a very right. intense action thriller like i think in order to give it the right vibe and like make it doesn't i mean not playful is not what i'm looking for but like I think it needs to to feel more energetic and not so like intense, like into the world sort of somber. Um, I think there needs to be it needs to infuse a little bit more of that. And again, there's there's moments I like, but I I that is something where I think it was a bit of a miss and maybe just not the right fit of movie director composer for this one. Something that I noticed because I I saw that it was him and I got really excited and and I was a little let down by it as i was watching and paying attention to it this time around yeah i think oh go ahead Brendan. i'll say the score didn't leap out to me as much as it has in previous movies i was obviously aware of it but it felt more like yeah i know this i know what this is sure um rather where the other ones even if they were doing familiar things like interstellar i was like yeah but it's jumping out at me so not a bad score but not not up to where the previous ones have been yeah, it's hard for me to, to I feel like I, I can't judge that part of it fairly just because it's so intricately like a part of the sound mix. And I had just such sure. a bad experience with that the first time around. Like a lot of the score, I just feel like even watching it now, it's just like it's just kind of noise. Like I, I can't even tell you if it's like effectively like connecting with the scene that it's in. It's just kind of and, and I, I, I hate to, to be in that, you know, to say that. Because I, I, you know, I, I do like his other work um, that we've kind of talked about before, but I, this one, I, I don't know if it's just like missing like a main theme for me to get like excited that's, about, or, or well, what that's what I was gonna say. Is, but. I almost wonder if this is something. Is it is it Patrick Doyle who did the first Thor? Correct. <laughs> I I almost wonder if it's like something where someone who is a little bit more of a kind of superhero vibrant. Um, and Patrick Doyle's done other things than Thor, but David like, Arnold. That would also be fun. Um, but just something that's that's a little bit more like the the score has its own personality and isn't like aesthetic, but is actually like driving the movie a little bit. Um, I I would have liked to see that. I, I kind of wish that. And I, I don't know, you know, how uh, this pairing got together for doing that or having him be the the composer. So uh, I'm not really like blaming anyone in particular. I just think like the approach there was probably the wrong approach for getting the right, the right sound and the right tone, which is interesting to me because normally mostly just because Nolan's worked with Zimmer the whole time. Normally that's not really a problem that comes up with him. So I definitely, Elizabeth Debicki was not like Mm -hmm. the main point i felt i needed to make going to this episode but i do appreciate that you guys know me as well as you do <laughs> um 
So I guess I'll start with her. No, actually, I, I want to go back to the Michael Caine scene, um, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about again because they're dining. Uh, the yes. first time I saw this, the thing that struck me most about it is is fairly small, but this was the first time that I had seen Michael Caine in a recent movie, and I was kind of struck by the fact that he did seem older in it. I'm like, he's not a young guy, and none of this is an insult to him. And it hit me mm-hmm. less the second time around. I was like, oh yeah, his age is showing more. Like, I felt this way about Morgan Freeman recently. Like, that just happens. You know, you start... People get to that point where you're like, okay, yes, now I see that you're getting older and and it hits. And so he's not acting as much and he doesn't he have to prove anything to anybody. But to see him pop up in the movie, that's sweet. And then his character's name is Sir Michael something. And at the end of that scene, John David goes, thank you, Sir Michael. And that's the end of the scene. I just felt that was really touching. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, it, it was, I don't know, I just found that sweet. Um, and as far as like, the acting in general, we can kind of break it down as we go through, but like, although we're 48 minutes into this, um, uh, Debicki, I, I need to see Elizabeth Debicki in more things because I really, she is, she's a good actor. Mm-hmm. I definitely believe she's a good actor, but I haven't seen her in stuff where I've gotten to love her yet. Um, and I think it's because like, I think she's good in this. I think she does a nice job, but it's very similar to what she does in The Night Manager, where she is also a willowy lady who is sad on boats because her partner is a criminal. Okay. Um, Okay. And uh, Man from Uncle, she's a bad guy or not? I can't remember. Um, And I don't know if I've seen other things with her. But like, I I thought you were about to say, I don't know if I've seen Man from Uncle. (laughs) I I haven't seen it. I should. That is that is totally an Alex kind of movie. I I do believe she's the antagonist. I think so. Yeah. So she's she's good, and I think she does a nice job in this. She does have a funny line where they're talking about what'll happen if Sator gets the hammer of Athrax, which is now what his name is to me, a a He-Man villain, Um, and a She-Hulk villain, which is what I almost said. Um, but he, the John David is like, oh, and is so everything and everyone that's ever been will be erased. And she goes, yes, including my son. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glad, glad you're understanding. We thing. get it. We know your priorities, but that, <laughs> I know. She, she almost like, it, it, we kind of fall into the same trap with her that like we, that happened with Sandman and Spider-Man three, where it's like, oh, the only thing to this character is their kid. Right. Yeah, I I and think like, they, they bring more... at every opportunity. They're like, but my kid though, and I'm like, okay, I get it. You need you need this character to have that yeah. conflict and to have the thing that means the most to them in the world. But I I... for me, I feel like the rest of the characters are so. I won't say one dimensional because I I do think all all the actors are are bringing bringing their oh, yeah. their a game to this for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but I don't feel like any of the characters are particularly well fleshed out aside from like her and unfortunately Sator. Um, and but but even still, I I don't feel like there's enough meat on the bone in terms of character. And yeah. when I'm dealing with mega complicated sci-fi spy stuff just compounding in my brain and breaking everything and then i don't have like a really strong character to to hook on to get invested in it's a tough sell which is why i had to watch it five or six times it's a a movie that i think that helps with the oh don't think it feel it kind of stuff but then with acting it's like i need those performances to jump out even more for for my own personal viewing and like you said 
actors are doing it. I don't have a problem. Brenda, it's it's a choice, but we'll get to him or I'll get whatever. Um, <laughs> I will say words about him at some point, but I feel that. Yeah, just a, a little more meat on the bone. And I think with her, I don't even mind how frequently she brings up her son. It was just there's that one moment where it felt extraneous. Yeah, true. every other bit and of the movie, I was like, yeah. She, I, I really liked her character this time around. She really like. There's a lot to her about sort of the way she feels attached to Seder and the, um. Just like the like the the scene where she talks about part of why she was like feeling so much rage at him when she has the scene that we eventually realize is the moment when Sador was planning on trying to end the universe um is because he offers her to go away from him without ever seeing her son again and she thinks about it for a moment like she there's a moment where she's like that that freedom is almost worth it to me and then that like even more the the fact that he saw that in her and like she knows that like he knows what kind of power he has over her and, and just how much like she wants to be free that clicked for me a lot more this time around um i don't think i missed it necessarily the first time around but i think that really worked for me in terms of her character I think maybe part of the problem for me is that I, when I've tried watching this movie before, and I, I did have a really good watch of this the last time, which is why I keep harping on how many times it took me to really get into it. Um, every time I get to the Michael Caine scene and they start talking about the, the art forgery and a repo, yes. a person who is only talked about through exposition, <laughs> we never see this person. We, a we just hear like is Christopher Nolan. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Um, but like the whole bit where, uh, basically the protagonist's in to try and get access to Sator is to tell Kat, Hey, I know about this forgery. I can use this information against you. Get me an audience with your husband. Um, but I just, I, it just feels like one step too many. It feels overly yeah. complicated and it feels like, okay, we need to get her into this plot somehow. Let's, let's try and find a way to do it. We'll do it with a spy thing. Art forgery. Okay. It's kind of like a heist type element to it but i just i i don't know i i think that's that's puts starts me on a bad foot with her as a character because <laughs> i'm like I, her son right <laughs> what say what pattinson is her son right that is the uh unconfirmed fan theory yeah huh i have never heard that the biggest uh thing and they, they never call him maximilian in the movie um but his name is Max, and if we can assume that his full name is Maximilian, uh, the last four letters spelled backwards are Neil. Uh, are they? I always thought Maximilian ended with a A. Yeah, A N. But I, I guess it was Ian. Oh well, let me look that up. That was something I heard. So, but also I just, just when he, when I admit when he saw the orange thing on his backpack, I was like, oh, like the sun hat on his backpack. I assume. Yeah, I don't, that part throws me for a loop because I don't think we see that before that point, but he has like a big reaction to it. And then later he sees it on Neil's backpack and he's like, oh, right. Um, We see it a few times. So (laughs) John David Washington impression. So we (laughs) see it. I I am also seeing. So Maximilian can end with E-N or A-N. So my theory holds. (laughs) No, so it's sort of a, uh, it's sort of a spinning top. Will it fall or not scenario? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um 
Uh, what was I saying? Um, so, okay, so we see the kind of orange strap on the backpack at the opera house at the very beginning of the movie. And then we don't see it again until um, the protagonist and Aaron Taylor Johnson are in the tunnel. Yes. Held at okay, gunpoint. I that it was in the beginning. And there's a dead body on the ground and yep. it ends up like shooting back up to life. And it's it, it's a it's an inversion thing. And it has the orange strap on the back. And then when uh the protagonist and neil are saying their goodbyes he sees him turn around and the orange strap is there and he's like oh you're going to go die now that's that's yeah (laughs) i understand some of this movie i promise (laughs) and that's i hadn't heard the the angle of the sun that was interesting and also um a couple other hints uh robert pattinson obviously he dyes his hair and it's he's got blonde streaks in it, so that makes him look a little bit more like Cat. And then I think also he changes his accent to sound more like Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah. Which is interesting, because I think she's doing a British and she's Australian. Hmm. Interesting. Which, I mean, that she can but do But yeah, accents, they, do, they do sound similar uh, in terms of accent. Well, just like all the stuff he's saying at the end about, like, I've known you a lot longer than you've known me. It just kind of... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I think Pattinson... Right, you've uh, helped me move this movie up a letter grade. <laughs> yeah, I think Pattinson... Uh, it was already an A+. Plus, so He's <laughs> good in this. I think he's... I like Pattinson on principle. You know, he's fun. I I, I think Debicki's fun. I like getting to see Michael Caine and stuff. I think John David Washington is a very good action performer. I think he does a nice mm-hmm. job with the dialogue, but, like, he's yeah. really good in the kitchen fight when he's hitting the guy with the grater. Yes. Like, he's very good. Like, I would like to see him get... He would be a cool person to add to a John Wick movie yes right yeah like he's I, really I, got that skill. i love that he starts that the way he starts that fight and how he he delivers the the line it's a good line too where he's standing around and all the guys are hanging hanging around him and he's like i've been waiting like an hour for my hot sauce i yeah. don't what are you guys up to and they just yeah. they, there's no like beat where they kind of like are like oh they all just like <laughs> immediately attack him it, it, it does yeah. nothing it's no great. he's he's wonderful and I, I it's funny because he doesn't really look like his dad but he sounds like his dad there are points where if you don't look at the screen you're like is that (laughs) like he really sounds like him i think Um, that what i noticed about his performance this go round um which really helped me appreciate him a good bit more i noticed because they've got kind of the running thread that he is not used to being in like high society situations Because they keep making fun of, oh, you need a better suit than that. Or or he gives himself away with the way he says something, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I was looking for the angle of him kind of learning and adapting to the situation. Sure. And you can tell just by his facial expressions that he is constantly thinking and having to consider the information in front of him. And I think particularly in scenes where there's a lot of heavy exposition and a lot of dialogue that n- not only the audience is having to kind of grasp but he's having to as well i think he actually sells that quite beautifully um in a way that i feel like just a standard action hero actor might not yeah no yeah i i i would agree and they didn't have to stick a mask on him for him to act with his eyes (laughs) (laughs) so take that um i i brana in this Bron is an interesting actor (laughs) because 
I kind of regret. Well, first he was snubbed for Chamber of Secrets. For just uh, for he, he can be so much fun and stuff. He's great in Road to El Dorado. He's fun in Harry Potter. He is somebody who... It's... His pride in his work shows. Yeah. Is, is the democratic way that I will say that. Diplomatic way that I will say that. Um... He can loves it in the Republican way. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, well, I don't. Oh boy, <laughs> the waters you placed before me. Can um, you invert that phrase? <laughs> um, Kenneth, Continue. Uh, he he loves Shakespeare more than I do. And one time he played Shakespeare in a movie he directed, and I was like, "Yep, this is what you were always trying to do, weren't? Wasn't it, buddy?" Sure. Um, but he can be really good and stuff. He, but he's also very much a theater actor. He does this in Dunkirk, even, which is a very, like, movie, movie, very, like, played down movie. But he still goes home instead of home, right? Like, he still gives a little bit of, like, theater, which is mm-hmm. not a bad thing to do. Plenty of actors do that. I can't think of any others, but they happen a lot. Um, and sure. he, he, that sounded sarcastic. A lot of, a lot of theater actors still carry that in the movies. And I think that that's where a lot of the big, the, the, the grandeur of the Sator performance comes in with the, and the accent's not like a crazy wild accent. In fact, it sometimes doesn't, it sounds more British. Like he's, he's going for it, but like, he's just really pushing it. And there's a scene where he's hitting Debicki. And I really like the editing and editing in that scene. Cause we never see him hit her. We see him. And then we see her react. We constantly cut away, which I like, cause I don't want to watch it. Right. right. But that also means you get a lot of close-ups of his face. Like, ah, and just kind of yeah. making little jabs at the air. And so some of that ends up looking a little silly. Because he's already like doing a... He's like he's doing a pantomime with this like theater in the round kind of, of thing. And it's... I don't think... It's it's by no means like a cartoonishly terrible performance or something. He's not yelling like this isn't going to bring back your bees yeah. or whatever. This is But it bad. is a little cartoonish. But it is a little cartoonish <laughs> compared to the rest of the movie and the rest of the performances, which are playing it a lot more wry, a lot more stoic, um, a lot more like naturalized. And he's like doing a bigger, a bigger thing. Yeah. So I, I think the scene that bothers me the most in terms of his performance is when they're on the boat and he's like he's basically prepping to whip her with his belt yeah, and yeah. he puts his cufflinks on like the belt buckle, and he's gonna just like hit her with it. Yeah, and he, there's just a moment where he leans, he leans forward, and he's like, "If I can't have you, yeah, no one can." And it's it's just the silliest thing. Oh. It is so ridiculous. Do you understand that, Cookie? <laughs> lady like like if he said that i would not have been surprised like okay if you took if you took like donald pleasance okay let's say you take donald pleasance or even goldfinger from like the original sean connery movies and inserted them into casino royale it wouldn't feel right would it <laughs> sure i inverted it six times <laughs> like that's that's what it feels like to me it feels like he Everyone else is in a different movie than than the movie that he is in. Yeah, I I get a similar vibe, not to the same degree, but I I do agree with what you're saying. And uh, here's the thing, I don't think he's terrible. No. I just found him very distracting, and I over the top, and I did not find him super compelling as a villain. Um, 
And particularly when you get to the very end and like the very last scene, he finally starts getting into his motivations as to why he's trying to end the world. I'm like, no, this is too late for this. I'm, I'm looking at my watch. We got to end this thing. I got other <laughs> things to do, man. I mean, they, <laughs> they get into that. I feel like fairly. He does quite a bit of monologuing at the end before. Elizabeth he does, he does do a lot of monologuing, him. but like he, I mean, yeah, I guess it's the, the, the more the motivation of the future the future people but i also i think there's a point to which it's like how much do we believe him how much do we believe them are they are the future people aliens that want to kill everyone that was also (laughs) something i found kind of amusing um because they they start talking about like well if they want to send the algorithm algorithm back in the past because the whole idea is that if you activate it it sends the whole universe it reverses the entropy of the universe so physics timey-wimey it's going to destroy like reality that's the idea which i think for a spy thriller like this i i have a hard time spy wizard thriller Uh, see if it if it had wizard tournament see (laughs) if it was built as a spy wizard movie i would accept that just the stakes of it literally being existence itself that That took a while for me to accept. I'll just say, I. But r- real quick, the whole thing with um, the f- I I can't remember if it's the protagonist, but he's like, why would they want to destroy everything? Like, wouldn't that mean they would die too? And then I can't remember if it's Priya or whoever, but they're like, and eh, the future, they think there are no rules. Whatever. <laughs> like <laughs> that explanation, I was like, oh, so that's how Nolan wrote the script. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. I mean- future be shopping. You know how it is. <laughs> It is, it is, I think, like, the, the, we, we are never given insight into them. Right. That's actually, like, directly, oh, we're understanding what they're saying. And we also know that the scientists who developed the algorithm wanted it to be hidden. And they mention Oppenheimer. I do. There is also a for effect there. there, Uh, There's also a theory that uh, Fleur Delacour actually creates the algorithm in the future and or it's a descendant of hers. Sure. I don't know if I buy that. I don't think it really matters, but that was something else I heard. Yeah. Um, The. uh, The the fact that it is about the destruction of all reality, or at least at the very least reality as our characters know it um and like as as we know it that really clicked for me this time having just it might be like one of the bigger the bigger things that's come out of for for me watching all the normal movies together is like seeing his sort of fascination not obsession but like interrogation of the end of humanity because even in there, he works in, like, the reason the future people are trying to do this is because previous generations ruined the Earth. They've left nothing. And so future generations are like, well, screw it. We're going to flip it back and start going backwards and live in the other direction. And we'll be able to do whatever we want. Um, and that, like, it, it can, he continues to ground it in ways that's like, it like yeah could some could the future develop a thing that could destroy all reality (laughs) and like 
what would we do about that? <laughs> like, he continues to find ways to insert those things where it's like, it's clear that these are things that he finds compelling about, like, grappling with, whether it's interstellar with Earth becoming, you know, just totally uninhabitable, basically, um, and kind of having to put all their hopes on uh, a single space, space flight mission, um, or uh, what's the other one? <laughs> I mean, Dark Knight Rises has, like, nuclear Armageddon in a city, but kind of has there a were, I gave, I had examples. What are the last... Dunkirk with the Nazis? Yeah. What did I write? I gotta go look at our group messages. <laughs> but basically, like... Oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm dumb. I'm thinking of Oppenheimer. The fact that he's, oh, gonna, yeah. he's getting into Oppenheimer, which is um, about the advent of nuclear war and potential armageddon and how this person who created again like a scientist creating something that is uh has the potential to destroy humanity like that's really interesting and compelling to me in a way that like (laughs) in a way that x-men apocalypse you know does not really get me with the like oh wow the world's really in danger you know it's not (laughs) there's yeah there's different vibes in some of in a lot of movies that are like it's gonna be the end of the world where this is like no what if here's another way that the world could end and like it is somewhere in the realm of possibility um, and it is about humans and, and kind of regular characters living in a world that is ostensibly ours. Uh, but this this stuff has happened to them or is going to happen to them. Like, I I really like that. I really like the uh, the way, you know, again, I think the, the finale is, is not maybe not one of his best finales, but it, it is pretty thrilling. And I, I like the way it all comes together with the the, the temporal pincher movement. Uh, the a the action is just good there's the tower that gets blown up from both the top and the bottom backwards and forwards <laughs> and it looks very cool and is very insane also um, don't don't think about it don't think about it but it looks very cool i've uh, I've, I've tried thinking about it please don't, don't think about it don't think about it um <laughs> as a person who just appreciates like gunfights and stuff in movies um i just appreciate it like a big old gun battle in a city and just yeah. a bunch of soldiers running around i just just purely on a visual aesthetic level i really really dug the third the third act that was that was yeah. quite a bit of fun um yeah and the you know the way it all works with neil being there and that's you know how it all comes together uh for them to get out of there with the algorithm to make because the idea is that they are getting the algorithm before it can be buried for the future to find and then they they hide it all figure out where to, where to take it well no um, no it's not it's not before the the future can find it they're trying to activate the algorithm but the whole idea is that they need to let an this explosion happen underground. That way, Sador thinks that the algorithm is going off, and then they will steal the algorithm, and Elizabeth Debicki will shoot him. Eh, I'm not sure because the they Sador's life signs. They say Sador's like life signs are tied to a message to the future that will be released that will tell the future where the algorithm is. 
I don't think that's the case. I thought it was connected to the algorithm itself and that if he died, the thing would go off. They kind of crease it together in that conversation, but they, they say what's happening is that Sator's life signs are connected to, like, once they go off, it will send a message out in some way. So... I think the idea is that they are... Basically, he is going to, once he knows the algorithm is buried and can't be retrieved, he's going to leave a message for the future to say, it's here, we 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 locked it in, you can go find it there. And then they would go find it and be able to use it. Versus them getting the algorithm out of there so that the bomb goes off. They, you know, might think it's under there, but really they've gone and hidden it all. So it's, it, it, no, it no longer matters that Sator dies because it might send a message out to be like, oh, the algorithm's here, but they're not actually going to find it there. Okay. I believe that is the case. You know, they, Pretty they, simple they put a lot of time into to like drawing diagrams and trying to explain <laughs> what's going on. And I feel like just like halfway through the movie, uh, Robert Pattinson should be like, stop. We're not, <laughs> we're not, we're not talking for the rest of this, the movie. It's just an audio visual uh, experience. Just, yes. just, we're, we're not talking. <laughs> Just taking the music, taking the pretty sights. Things are traveling backwards. Things are traveling forwards. Mm -hmm. You shut up and we'll shut up. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't get what was going on in the third act, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I just knew bad thing was going to happen. (laughs) I just think it's neat. It is neat. I just... I... I either need more explanation or I need a lot less. <laughs> True. Yeah, and then it, yeah, yeah. Just trying to think about the logistics of any of it. Eventually, just hurt your brain. Yeah. Um, I do really like Aaron Taylor Johnson in this. I think he's quite a bit of fun, even though it's a very limited role. Um, I think he's he's kind of very good at just like being action guy who just says quippy things. Um, what, what, there's some bit when they're, when they first find the protagonist in the, the red and blue rooms after, uh, Kat's been shot and the protagonist is like, all right, we're going to tr- travel. We're going to invert ourselves and go rescue her. And I'm going to, I'm going to get that piece of the algorithm and he ends up losing it. Um, but, uh, there's the bit where they're explaining the rules of like, oh, you need to like have a mask on because you need to not breathe in inverted air it'll kill you um and he's in the background he just goes that's cowboy crap or so something like that and i'm like this is good i like i like this i like this it's very yes. fun yeah this is a, a performance of his that i don't dislike which which is saying something from me um but yeah no, i thought he was fun in this too yeah he's got a nice beard mm-hmm. um <laughs> I really something closer to his natural accent, I think, which is nice. Sure. Was that was this better or worse than his performance in The King's Man? He gets a pass on that one. He he he's not really in that. <laughs> yeah. But but Britain, he was Lance a lot. He sure was. And was I, he? For and I've already forgotten what and, we're talking about. And he, maybe he went on to fight Hitler. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and true. we never will. Um <laughs> I really like the 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 turnstiles are one of the things that I think works really well and also breaks my brain in a fun way. Um, I love the fact that 
because when you're moving forward, the idea is that you go into the turnstile and your reverse self moves backwards in time. So basically every time we see someone going into a turnstile, two people go in and disappear. <laughs> like that continues to break my brain every time it happens in the movie. Yes. Uh, but it is like that actually is really solid. It makes sense uh, in terms of the logic. Um, I think that's really neat. I, I like that. That is one effect of all the craziness of the time travel stuff. Yeah. That's... We also haven't really talked about the, maybe what actually might be some of the strongest stuff in the movie, which is the entire uh, airplane slash. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, attempted heist kind of. Yeah. That looks really good. The fire truck chase. Looks and the really fact good. that we revisit it twice uh, where we have everything kind of go back to there because they travel backwards to that date uh after the after the car chase that all is is really neat um i just like the way all that lines up and sequences obviously you get the cool reveal that john david washington is also in there uh as the the guy who suited up like all that is yeah i do like in hindsight realizing that the whole movie is basically a pincer move i think that's 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 fun because you've got the uh, the opera house siege and the attack in the the desert city kind of happening at the same time, but you don't really know about that. You kind of hear little bits of dialogue throughout the movie of like, "Oh, there was an explosion over here. What's going on with that?" And mm. it's like, "Oh, oh, that's all happening concurrently. That's yeah. neat. Yeah. I like that. That's fun. I know what's happening. It's not going to last more than like thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you get uh, glimpses." I get glimpses. That's really the most I can hope for sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I really just appreciate, obviously, Nolan loves practical effects, and yeah. I think he just continues to go. That That's the one place where I'm like, yes, go crazy. Just lose your mind. Like, crash a plane into a building. Mm. Do a reverse bungee jump. Like, just send a man to the moon. Let's let's get nuts. Uh, you, might, <laughs> you might do it. No, all the all uh, this all the visual effects in this are terrific. But rewinding stuff, whatever it is, it's all it all looks really good. Yeah. He, uh, he apparently for Oppenheimer is uh doing everything he can short of actually detonating an atomic bomb to film it. <laughs> like he is <laughs> working with the practical effects person not to animate but to actually like create an explosion that will replicate what he needs for the film. <laughs> Turns out he's going to build an actual algorithm and it's going to destroy us. <laughs> it's going to be much worse than just a it's nuclear bomb. <laughs> um, But yeah, I just appreciate that. I mean, the movie is super seamless with all of the stuff that's reversed. Like, I think it's it's very, very well done in that way. Um, And I, I remember watching the behind the scenes stuff for this and a lot of the, the visual effects guys and kind of the uh, production design folks and like everyone who had to set up the action scenes were they had to like keep stopping themselves and they had like little diagrams with like toy cars and things of like, so if this thing's traveling backwards and this yeah. thing's traveling forwards, this is going to have, okay, we'll do that. How about that? Okay. So there's even when they were making the movie, there was a lot of head scratching going on, which I appreciate that they're being candid about that. And, you know, it's it's fun. I don't know. It's a weird yeah. movie. 
what is that Christopher Nolan on? <laughs> Britain, what is he on? Tell uh, us. I don't know. What a grade are you getting the movie? <laughs> Good. What is he on right now? Um, I think I am going to give it a B minus. Um, like I said, I uh, this is probably the best watch that I've had of the movie, despite all of my my complaining and ranting. Um, I think the movie, the more I watch it, the more kind of the intricate plot details start to piece together for me. And uh, Tyler, I should you should have said something about uh, you should have watched this before I did and said something about Spy Wizards. Then I, I'd probably give this movie an A plus. But you'll save it for the seventh watch. It'll keep <laughs> <laughs> lucky lucky number seven. Um, but yeah, B minus right now. Uh, it's for me. It's it's still on the weaker end of Nolan's movies. But obviously, there's there's a lot here to kind of just digest and enjoy. Brent, what do you got? I'm going to give it a C. Uh, it's more just out of pure interest level because I think it's it's impressive and well done. Like I think it's mm. a it's I think it's a good movie. I just wasn't that interested in it. Give it an A plus, Tyler. If we no, know you want it. It's not an A plus. Uh, I think I am going to go A minus. It's kind of okay. right on the edge between A minus and B plus, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to him. Uh, I believe in Nolan Dent. Uh, <laughs> I'll put I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on the things that I uh, I personally interpret as enjoying. Um, also, it doesn't matter. It's my interpretation. It's my movie now. <laughs> I can say what I want about it. Um, but I I do it really does fascinate me in a lot of ways and i think continues to click for me and make me feel like it is just a really i mean i think impressive is the word like i i I, ultimately i just think it's very cool (laughs) so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna land it on did you want to circle back to the uh the restaurant scene yeah. Yeah, I mean the I talked about it a bit, but uh, I will just say that that is the greatest dining scene. We <laughs> saved the best for last. I mean, it is we got food, we got a fancy restaurant, we got Michael Caine and we got all the exposition you can handle. It's it's beautiful. I have no I have no interpretation uh in particular because it's clearly just a, One, a chance well, to I will Michael say Caine. at the end of that scene uh the uh protagonist walks away from the meal without eating and he says can you box it up for me and they say no because no one's not going to box this movie up for you and you you just that's true you just got to walk away from all the interpretation buddy you're not going to watch this movie on a on a small nah. small device or feel a small, it just feel it man you know, like yeah you walk gotta away. deal with it you, you gotta make sure that you're you're sitting down for the meal absolutely um well we did it we watched christopher nolan's movies and i still like him a lot he's he's great I'm really excited to see Oppenheimer. So, I'm Oppenheimer is interesting to me because I, especially after this, I'm like, what's the angle going to be? Right. Like, I, sure. Um, I think Matt Damon, who I forgot was apparently in Oppenheimer mm-hmm. or is apparently in Oppenheimer, uh, said recently that it's going to be around three hours. Don't know exactly how valuable a source he sure. is on that, but like, it's starting to feel like it with just how many people are in it. And how long it's been taken to make. I'm very curious and hopeful 
I don't know. Because I like, I feel like Dunkirk is the one of these that. I mean, Dunkirk, Insomnia, following to some extent, like those are the movies that are the most sort of grounded and just about people. And there are some of probably the weakest. That might be the weakest three by our estimation. So I'm I'm curious about the uh what what he will find in that because i assume there will be something maybe it's just going to be jumping a lot through oppenheimer's life but i hope there's something up his sleeve for that especially if it's three hours and maybe maybe all that's up his sleeve is josh peck maybe that'll be maybe is is josh peck in a in a shocking uh oscar nominated role Mm -hmm. that's true well thank you christopher nolan for teaching us all a little bit about life love and second chances i was gonna say fine dining and fine dining. And hey, thank you, Megan, for teaching us to laugh at love again. Yeah. I he did, he did teach us about breathing when you're inverted. That's true. That's true. <laughs> true. True. And in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on an ice planet. Yeah. Those really, aren't yeah, really more the ice planet than Those space. aren't mountains, they're exposition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't that's what I said when I watched this movie for like the fourth time. And, yeah, and and not not breathing when getting hit by a big wave. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, speaking of big waves, I have a movie to recommend that definitely sent shockwaves throughout the entertainment community and our culture. This sounds sarcastic, because, but it's a very sincere movie. <laughs> I watched the movie a while back, so I'm finally going to actually do the recommendation. I am going to recommend She Said, uh, Maria Schrader's movie about Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey's uh, reporting on the Weinstein uh, atrocities. And it was a movie that I, I... It doesn't quite crest into greatness for me, but I do think it's very, very good. The obvious comparisons are like All the President's Men, Spotlight, and... I like a good journalism movie. I think this is a good journalism movie. What I think it just comes down to is that it's this must be a difficult story to tell in a movie format. Because I haven't read their book yet, but I want to. And I so I trust that the movie is telling everything accurately. I trust that the movie is not like, you know, rewriting history to make a narrative, to make a dramatic conclusion or something. But it it just does feel like it kind of lopes along at points, which I would rather it be accurate, obviously. But I think as a result of that, it maybe isn't always as cinematic as you might otherwise want it to be. Um, but having said that, it is still very interesting. Um, it's very merciful. It doesn't depict anything. You obviously have women talking about their experiences. They There is a point where they play audio of Weinstein and one of the women who, who survived him. And I don't, like them having a conversation or an argument in, in the hallway. I don't know if it's a sound alike or if it's literally the audio f- track. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, it is, it, it, it's a movie that, I don't know. I don't want to like, <laughs> I don't want to doom it by saying it's important, right? Because <laughs> that's kind of a, a weak thing to say about a, a movie because it's also a movie. But it is, um, it, it is really compelling and really well done. The acting is very, very good. Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan play uh, Cantor and Tui. Carrie Mulligan is really, really good in this. Kazan's always great. and Carrie Mulligan is really good in it. 
uh andre brower plays their one of their bosses he's awesome there are several scenes of andre brower talking on the phone to a harvey weinstein sound alike you mean like all right harvey and then hanging up on him and it's so satisfying to hear andre brower just be completely unfazed by this guy um you've got patricia clarkson and who who is kind of saddled with a lot of like trailer lines uh but then samantha morton and uh jennifer ely both play women who dealt with weinstein earlier in their lives and they both have scenes that are interviews that are essentially monologues and those those two just like burn the movie down like they are so mm. good and then zach grenier has a really beautiful performance as i believe he was an accountant for weinstein and he has a couple of scenes that are just really really good uh uh what's his name from ragtime he's a professional peter it's gonna come to me later i'm sorry uh capaldi Peter Capaldi from Succession and the Broadway musical Ragtime. Peter Friedman. That's it. Parker. He's in there. He's very good. Peter Spider-Man <laughs> swings in and he's like, I'm going to beat up Harvey Weinstein. He's like, you gals don't need my help. And they're like, but no, we allies. We need them. <laughs> Spidey. That's actually be fine, yeah. No, wait. Silence is complic- his complicity. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of... It, it's also a movie that... I said it doesn't always feel as cinematic narratively, but it's visually, it's a beautiful looking movie. There's a lot of depth in the images, like a lot of really interesting angles. Um, I really liked the way it looked. So I would definitely recommend it, um, whether you have or haven't read the book. I think it's interesting. I think it is always valuable to remind ourselves of of what people are capable of when they have this amount of power. Um, But also it's just like, it's a well-made journalism movie. So I do recommend it. I watch it on Peacock. It is probably elsewhere too. And that is called She Said. And also, I will also give the caveat. Inevitably, movies based on real events are, especially when they're recent, are slightly opportunistic. If this movie came out in 2019 or if this movie was made by a big name with like, not that Mulligan and Kazan are not wonderful actors, not that they're not famous, but if this were made with like, who who are the top like hot trending yeah, movie Emily actors? Blunt right now? And if if uh uh Charlie Theron was in this movie, yeah. if Patty yeah. Jenkins was directing this movie, and that's not a knock on those two performers, but that's a like, who who is going to make this movie a, a a big like headline movie? If this were going for more of that, I would blame it more for being like, okay, I think you're just trying to like get pat of pats on the back for being on the quote right side of history. It was made by a German woman who hasn't made a ton of movies before. <laughs> like this is th- this was made by by people who I think wanted to tell the story more accurately. Um Ashley Judd does play herself. You know, this is not me. Ma- I, 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 I don't want to wade into waters of like assuming anyone's intentions, but I think there have been more cases in movie history of like, hey, a big thing happened. Quick, make some money off of it. And I don't put that on this movie. So so you're saying this is this is more along the lines of like the Fassbender Steve Jobs movie. I would than, say that I would. Than the Kutcher Steve Jobs movie. No, I, yeah, I think I, I would absolutely say that. I think the um, Kutcher one came out like a week after he died. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, get him in the studio. Um, him being Ashton. Uh, Alex, I know you have a, a, a supposedly eclectic list of movies to talk about. The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill, I assume. Yeah, kind of. So I'm, I'm going to do another one of my I'm just going to say things and we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> we'll see podcast? what I decide to recommend. Um, I, I saw the Super Mario Brothers movie in the theater. Um 
Tyler, I think you you said it because you had heard from somebody else that it's not a great movie, but it's a good Mario movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think that's a pretty solid way to describe it. It's uh, it seems like a fairly faithful adaptation. I've only played like a handful of Mario games. I'm not like a diehard fan. Um, My only noob. The uh, the only Nintendo system that I own casual noob (laughs) is a Game Boy Advance. So. (laughs) <laughs> oh all right yeah so i'm I'm going back a ways cool guy um, over here but like it was perfectly fine there, there were uh, like a handful of jokes that i got laughs out of me and the rest was just kind of mild chuckling um it's mostly it, it's it's a lot more child friendly than i was expecting actually i was expect you know because this is like a lot of just like i feel like when you're looking at just like normal video game audiences sure, you would sure. go oh we need to aim for like yeah, 20 to 30 yeah. year old guys you know um and i'm like okay i'm not the target demographic for this and that's fine um could the movie have been better yeah probably but also i imagine it would be fairly hard to adapt mario into a movie so it's also making a lot of money so they're not learning any lessons from that <laughs> <laughs> no but it, you know it was, it was fine to. it looked it looked pretty uh the voice acting um, a lot's been said about Chris Pratt, but I think they come up with an in-universe way that kind of explains the performance that he's giving that actually kind of worked for me. Um, they did put some thought into that. So if anyone's kind of concerned about that, there you go. Um, uh, I kind of recommend it. Wait till it comes out on like streaming. It's fine. Sure. Whatever. Uh, I finished up Generation Kill. <laughs> Um, which is a mini series about, um, a bunch of soldiers, um, kind of right during the, uh, war in Iraq, kind of a bunch of Marines kind of leading the charge. Um, and it's got Alexander Skarsgård. He's, he's the star and a bunch of kind of smaller actors. Um, one of whom I recognized from it chapter two as one of the grown up characters, but I, Bill I Hader. it wasn't Bill Hader. <laughs> It wasn't Bill Hader. It wasn't James McAvoy. It definitely wasn't Jessica Chastain. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. Um, but basically, uh, the way I would describe it, just because it's about the war in Iraq, it, it's interesting to compare it because it's, it's an HBO Max miniseries. Or not a Max. It was made for HBO. Um, but comparing it to Band of Brothers, which is... It, it's cynical in its own ways, but I would say realistic is probably the better way to, to talk about that. Um, but it's still very like, you know, we were fighting for a just cause. It's very kind of optimistic and, you know, um, kind of about heroes. Um, uh, Generation Kill is very cynical. And if you like kind of like cynical war stories, it is probably your thing. Um, I think I liked the latter half more than the the first half. It is, it's kind of slow in spots and... At a certain point, I was like, I don't like half of these guys. Can we just get a move on here? <laughs> um, but I, I, it's deep. I, you know, it, it just depends on if you like that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, Generation Kill. Another kind of recommendation. So you got like two half recommendations. Yeah. And then I, I rewatched everything <laughs> everywhere all at once. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, there's your recommendation. Um, it might not be my recommendation. I don't know. Um, no, I did. I did like it. I, I still like the movie a lot. Um, and it's just, I, I'd only seen it one time. So I just wanted to rewatch it and I, I have the Blu-ray. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And Hey, it's still good. Still amazing. Uh, I think 
the biggest thing for me that I noticed was just all the technical aspects. Um, just like the shots where Michelle Yeoh is getting pulled, like it's showing her like flying backwards and yeah. she's just transporting between different realities. Like that stuff is just so neat. I can so almost good. watch that on a loop for 90 minutes. Yeah, it looks so good. Yeah. So I, I think uh, still not quite sure about Jamie Lee Curtis getting getting the Oscar for that performance, but yeah. she's she is really good. I just. I don't know. That's not that's not the thing that I immediately focus on. I'm like, what are the best things about this right. movie? So, um, but yeah, I, I rewatched that, and then I watched uh, Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> <laughs> it may get weirder. <laughs> this list. Um, How far uh, does it go now? It's I'm Anomalisa, almost done. Lisa, Anomalisa, Anomalisa. <laughs> no, not quite. Uh, it, it'll get weird in a way that'll aggravate Tyler. Um, so, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, uh... Oh, so it's just Alien 3 three times. Uh, I watched a movie called Season 8 Was Bad, and... Uh, I'll I'll say, I'll say there's a three in the title. Um, Eyes Wide Shut, uh... Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, it's Kubrick's last movie, uh, it's weird, and it's, it's, uh, it's gross, it's filthy. (laughs) Um... (laughs) What? Okay, Um, so, moving on. do y'all have y'all seen this movie? Do you know what the plot is? No. I I no and yes. Okay. Um basically Tom Cruise like has a bunch of doubts about the relationship he has with his wife and he just goes on an odyssey about like discovering the nuances of the relationships between men and women and it ends up leading him to like an Illuminati sex cult. That's thing. a very diplomatic way to describe that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trying to be the diplomatic. Relationship, yes. I, I mean, I will say, I do think the movie, it's not exploitative in how it's shot. It's very, mm-hmm. like, matter-of-fact and kind of cold, which is typical of Kubrick. Um, to be honest, it might be the Kubrick movie that I like the most. And I've only seen a couple of his movies. I've, 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 I've seen The Shining once. I didn't really get into it. Full Metal Jacket, I like all the stuff with Arlie Ermey and Vincent D'Onofrio. I can take or leave the latter half when they actually get into the war. Um, I don't like 2001 very much, but I only saw it once. Um, if I want that experience, I'll just go watch Interstellar uh, to tie it back around. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really like it. And it's just it's just a weird movie. And I don't quite know what it means. And I don't, I don't think I'm supposed to. So yeah. Then I watched Iron Man 3. <laughs> Okay. Tony Stark 3. On a whim, I just decided to rewatch it, and I think I still stand by my grade. I think I gave out like a C. Really standing by your strong, your bold opinion of Iron Man 3. I I had a good time with it. I know you don't like the movie, Tyler, but I had a good time with it. I just, I think my biggest problem with it in hindsight is just, I don't. I'm not the biggest fan of how some of the action scenes are executed. They feel very kind of standard and boilerplate. And I feel like they could be a little bit more fun and exciting. Because I don't feel like that movie's nearly as memorable as it probably should be. If that makes sense. I'm going on too long. Uh, and then I've been watching Succession, the the final season, because everyone's watching that except for you two. Um, Correct. No, no, that's that's fine. There, there are shows that are big that I don't watch that you both watch. So, Fuller yeah. House. So this like is what it feels like. Which I'm very caught up on. 
<laughs> I've watched so many episodes of The Mandalorian. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, I, I think I think the only reason that I, I bring up these lists is that I will quickly forget about them and I will, uh, you know, it'll just kind of leave my brain and I'm like, oh, what am I recommending this week? I don't remember things that I watched two weeks ago. That's a letterbox, man. Keep that that's, diary. That's a lot of work. I can't even remember what I had for breakfast. That's well, not true. I know what I have for breakfast. Well, Tyler watched Godzilla 98, and he has yeah. a few takes. <laughs> yeah, Tyler. B minus. Uh, uh, now now I, you're just hurting my feelings. I've. What did I do to you? I just you watched Iron Man 3 again. I know. I know. I, I just talked for like 20 minutes about nonsense that I watched, but come on. Um. I don't really, I've, I mean, there's a lot of things that I've been like, oh, that's kind of neat uh, <laughs> that I've, I've knocked out recently. <laughs> um, I did read uh, Wonder Woman Dead Earth, which is another Daniel Warren Johnson uh, deal. Uh, and it was, it was very good. Um, it doesn't, I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, it's kind of a cool book because it's in a format DC's been doing called DC Black Label, um, where they have these comics that are like big square almost printings they're they're like larger than usual um and so the book is like that it's like this it almost is like a coffee table book but it's not super thick uh pretty neat looks really good i like the story i i would not put it on the same pedestal as power do a power yeah do a power bomb and murder falcon both of which i think are totally fantastic um but that that's probably my recommendation for the week um i think everything else that i've like run into recently has kind of been like yeah this is pretty good this is the thing i liked i watched uh, i watched chop gun uh (laughs) or like start to finish for the first time pretty good the original top gun the original top gun because i have been holding off i think alex you have told me i should just watch top gun maverick but i was kind of like eh, i'd like to have the the basis i mean it's what we do on the podcast so yeah like I, I gotta i gotta organize it um so now that i've knocked that out i'll watch top and maverick at some point and we'll see if that appears on a future recommendation uh you're gonna be oh. so mad at me when you watch it and you're like alex this is the best movie i've seen in a good long while <laughs> why did win best me, picture uh, why did you keep telling me I'll, that it was c material yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna be i'm gonna be uh so mad at you in 2027 when I finally get to it on my letterbox <laughs> list. <watch> yep. list. <laughs> I will say, uh, uh, Miles Teller was interviewed recently, and he was talking about why he felt that Tom Cruise should have been nominated for his performance. And he did he did put it in a way that, that did make me think, oh, you know, I, I think there should have been more consideration, maybe. And the fact that, particularly for the flying sequences, since he's actually flying, he had to put in, like, thousands of hours of practice for that that's not just something you you can just do whenever you want um no speak for yourself (laughs) but in terms of like preparing for a role and kind of everything that goes into it like i I guess where do you draw the line in terms of like i am delivering dialogue in a scene versus it is a physical performance i'm having to react to things um i I don't know It's, it's just an interesting thought no, I, I agree. I've had the same thought. And, and this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not entirely. But, like, should Donnie Yen just get nominated for John Wick 4? <laughs> like, sure, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there are moments. Anyway. 
Yeah. Uh, we, I think we talked about this a little bit when we were watching the Oscars last time around that like does kind of feel like there is there is room for there to just be a like best action performance or I don't know exactly what you yeah, find there but I, like I, something I, that's like un, uh, yeah I, I think without question there should be a stunt coordination if nothing else sure there used to be uh, Oscars for choreography when musicals were more ubiquitous yeah. so like just make one for stunt choreography you would get more movies in it's a clear you don't it's one category. It's a clear thing that audiences understand. You designed the fight scenes. Movies yeah. have, like, yeah, the, the DP has their team, but they're a cinematographer. So then Deacons goes up and gets it and is awesome and leaves. You can do stunt coordinator, and it's John Wick or Ant-Man Quantumania, and uh, they go up there and leave. Like, th- that to me is such an obvious, like... Just do it. Stunts. Yeah. How good did they do this stuff? You don't have to get into like, well, is it cars or is it uh, karate or what are we talking? Stunts. Just do it. Like, yeah. And then you can you shot. can create an opportunity to give to give one of those those darned superhero movies or, <laughs> or probably like a John Wick or like you know something that is popular. Or an Oppenheimer. Or an Oppenheimer. <laughs> well, the assault on the ninjas compound. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying. Look, the the plans to the atomic bomb got stolen, and we got to get them back. If the entire movie is just standing around talking about the atom bomb, I'm gonna be real surprised. <laughs> There's gotta be something. There's gotta be something there. Sure, sure. Well, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out at some point. Uh, if you want to find out when we find out about that, uh, you can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCTSequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. And would you look at that? We do have uh, a couple of memes, which I am looking at for <laughs> the first time and will describe. Please do just one because I have to go to bed soon. <laughs> okay. Well, this one, this I, one, I'll... I second that. This is this is uh, from Joseph. This is not really a meme. I'm just gonna ex- I'm just gonna describe this. Uh, basically, apparently, uh, Robert Pattinson says there were months at a time while filming Tenet where, where he was not even vaguely understanding the film. <laughs> Pretty good, but like it's it's just like a screenshot of a tweet. It's not really. What do we What do we got here? <laughs> okay. All right. All right, I'm going in. So this is a this is a meme Joseph has sent us. Uh, it is called Dad Meme. Is the subject good? Um, it is a, a black and white photo of a a large rock face that is kind of protruding out of a forest. Uh, so it's black and white. the The background is kind of all white. The sky's been turned white by the filter that was placed on here. Um. The the rock face is like very craggly. It's this very like big sort of uh, clear uh, piece of piece of stone, um, and it does say it does say at the top has this, this big caption it says before it was carved, and then at the bottom here we've got Mount Rushmore's natural be- beauty was unprecedented. Pretty good, Joseph. Pretty <laughs> good. I like it. Nine out of ten. Straight <laughs> and to the point. You feel with my, my, my dad joke heart. 
I, I give um, I give it a B minus, like Tenet. There you go. Uh, if you want to send me memes to describe the, you know, the, those weren't complex like Tenet. Uh, <laughs> normally, I like to really, you know, sink my teeth into the memes. Uh, so you know, the the more texture, the more sort of uh, detail that you can provide on these memes. Send them to here come send them to here come the sequels at gmail.com. Tweet them at us. Do whatever you want to do to get us those memes. At HTTC. I crave the memes. They are all I live for. <laughs> Send me memes. <laughs> and I will describe them. <laughs> there, Tyler calls his phone Silver Surfer because that's what goes out and finds the memes for him. <laughs> <laughs> Until yeah, one day this phone stops. It's like, no, I'm not bringing you any more memes to devour. You can't keep devouring memes in this way that is destroying life. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, the metaphor sort of breaks down right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think we did a good job talking about Tenet. We did. Congratulations, everybody. Thanks again, Chris. Can't Thank wait to you. see Oppenheimer. Bye. I've been Alex. <laughs> crushed it <laughs> uh i've been britain uh, i've been i've been tyler and you're having we forgot about puss in boots again <laughs> and you're living in a twilight world <laughs>